0: for our reading this evening we're turning to the Psalms, to Psalm 5, Psalm 5, it's for the director of music, for pipes, it's a Psalm of David, Psalm 5 beginning at verse 1, listen to my words Lord. Consider my lament, hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. The bloodthirsty and deceitful you, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In reverence, I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave, with their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favour as with a shield. Amen. Amen. Well, as we come to Psalm 5, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, you are our refuge and our shield, and we have put our hope in your words. We pray now that you would reveal yourself to us as a refuge Uh, once again this evening, no matter our circumstances, as we come to your word, speak to us uh, with power by your spirit and be glorified, we pray, for the honor of your name, which we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you ever lost uh, for words? Have you ever uh, found yourself in a situation and you just don't know quite what to say? Sometimes that can be because you've been shocked by something. uh, But sometimes the, the reality of life can just leave us unable to really express our feelings in words. And all you can think is, why me? Why this now, Lord? What is going on? And in such times we can feel a bit rudderless and sure of, of where to ground ourselves our joy as christians can be frustrated by our difficulties can't it the, the harshness maybe of our circumstances can cause fears to swell up in our hearts and maybe you know something of this right now at the moment or you've known it in the recent past and so psalm five here this evening is full of encouragement uh, to all of us it is a psalm of comfort to you who are suffering uh, here uh, the ceiling, you're going through adversity. You are struggling with a situation at home or at school or in work or in your family. And to you this evening, the comforting voice of God comes to you through this um, by the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to you in the midst of your circumstances tonight, I am king and I am near. God is king and he is near. And so uh, I want us to see uh, what David here, the psalmist, prayed as he struggled in his circumstances. Let's see two truths that I trust will encourage you this evening and on into this week as you ground your hope in who our God really is. And firstly, we see David's hope in God's justice. A hope in God's justice in verses 1 to 7. Look at how this psalm begins. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. The psalmist laments. That's something that we feel that we're not really able to do. We often feel that we're not really allowed to do that. That we always have to put on a brave face as followers of Jesus. We have to be happy all the time. And when someone asks us how we are, we tell them, I'm fine. I'm fine. We say that all the time, don't we? And while, of course... It is true that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a great and ultimate hope. And so ultimately, yes, we are fine. The reality is that in the moment that life is often, is very far from easy. It it can be and and is hard. So hard, in fact, that it's hard to know what to say. And it can be hard to, to know what to pray at first. And so David says to the Lord, Consider my groaning, consider my sighing, maybe your Bible says. Or what it says here, hear my lament, O Lord. David knows, he feels his need, and in the state he is in, he laments, he sighs, he expresses his need. He comes to the Lord with a cry for help. It's a cry of complete dependence on another, isn't it? It is a cry from complete weakness to one of absolute strength. That's how David assesses his circumstances. He knows he is powerless, but he prays to the God of all power. There in verse 2, he says, Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. David knows he's praying to the King, that the Lord God Almighty is the King of this whole Universe, that he always has been king and he always will be king. So there is no one else for him to turn to other than this great God of highest heaven. This is always something we must remind ourselves of. It is vital that we believe in and hold tightly to the sovereignty of God. He is the king. Our God is in charge of all, He is the one who reigns over. Our circumstances. He's the one that rules over our world. He is the king of all. King of your situation this evening. No matter how brilliant it might be. Or how desperate you might feel it is. He's king of those things. He's king of your workplace. He's king of your school. Your family. Your finances. Your health. He is king of it. All. He really is. But he's not some unsearchable far off king. That would be one thing. To say that, well, at least he's that. No, incredibly, it's better than that. Because here we read that wonderful affirmation that he is my king and my God. Yes, God is absolutely sovereign. He is the king who hears and is able to save. But wonderfully, he is close enough to us that we can call him my God. We can call him father. Our words, our cries come from our hearts and they reach the heart of God. And sometimes we know from our experiences, don't we? We can't even put our longings into words. But we can come near in prayer. We can mumble and stumble in our requests. And our God hears us because he is our Father through faith in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the firm footing that our lives need, isn't it? We are all under the authority of of another. We are all under the authority of the Lord God Almighty, who is sovereign over all. And yet this God is personal. He is my God. He's your God this evening through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your God because He's revealed Himself to us in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus. I wonder do you know him as your King this evening? Are you able to say that He is my King and my God? If you don't, friend, then you need to know him. You need to know this God as uh, your king through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need uh, to come to him uh, this evening. And you need to do that because of this firm footing is what gives David the confidence to pray. What he does there in verse 3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. David knows that the Lord does hear him. That with the dawning of a new day, there is an eager anticipation that the Lord will respond. He knows that the Lord won't forsake him. And so he seeks the Lord in prayer, confident that he really will be heard. Even in the depths of his sorrow we can really learn something of prayer here, can't we? That prayer is, is putting our problems into words in some way, however little it might be. It is a confidence that we will be heard by the one true living God. It must be a priority for us in the day, and it is expectant for an answer. And these are, are important lessons for us, aren't they? Because so often for so many of us, prayer is, is not a priority. Not deliberately so, that's just the way that, that life is and things get away from us. And The morning is mentioned twice here in, in verse 3, which doesn't mean you can only pray in the morning, and it doesn't mean that you must spend time absolutely with God only in the morning. Maybe you do your Bible reading and you spend some time in prayer in your lunch break or in the evening or, or for an afternoon or whenever it is, we can come to God in prayer at any time and anywhere, of course we can. But, obviously... The morning is always the start of the day, to state the obvious, without fail. And so the challenge for all of us in our lives, every day, whoever we are, and even when our circumstances maybe aren't uh, easy at all, is this. Are we uh, prioritizing prayer? Are we prioritizing prayer? Are we uh, making that time? Are we still bringing to the Lord our concerns and speaking to him about everything until there's nothing left for us to speak to him about? Remember, he is your God. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is your God. And so starting the day with the Lord, acknowledging him at the start of a new day that he's given us today and he'll be with us today and he won't forsake us today. It's an important part of of knowing him as your God and as your king. We lay our requests out, don't we, before the Lord for this day. Tomorrow will worry about itself, but for this day, we lay out our requests before him, because we know that he is the one who is in charge of it all. And we don't just do that wishfully, or hoping it's a bit of a safety net for us, but having started the day, Uh, with the Lord, no matter how long or how short that time might be for you, in your personal circumstances, you start an early shift, or you're sorting out the children or the grandchildren to to get to school, or you're rushing for the bus, or you're praying in the car on your commute to to work, however it is you you do it, and no matter how long or how short, it's not about rules, but having in some way committed the day to the Lord, you wait expectantly. That's what the end of verse 3 says. You're watchful. An answer you're waiting in expectation for today, for for what the Lord is going to do today, for you today, through you today. Why? Because He is your King and He is your God. This is how we are to approach every day that we're given (coughs) on this earth, and it's what David does as he's lamenting his situation in verses 4 to 6, we, we get a bit of an idea. We're not given exact details, but a bit of an idea of what's going on in David's life. He's praying against wickedness. He's praying for justice. He believes in the justice of God, that God is the just and good ruler of all. David prays in these verses and knowing that God is not pleased with wickedness. There is no welcome of evil into his presence. The arrogant can't stand. There is a hatred Of those who do wrong, an absolute detesting of those who tell lies and are deceitful. And that's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Those are strong words that we read there. Three times we read in different ways in those verses that God has an absolute hatred of evil. He is completely incompatible with it. He is not pleased with wickedness. God hates all who do wrong. He detests the bloodthirsty And deceitful. God has no double standards. He's perfect in every way. And here the word of God clearly says that he hates both the sin and those who sin against him. Which sounds really strong, doesn't it? But that's what it says. We know that because we read of these repeated negatives that those who do evil ultimately, those who do evil ultimately are not welcome with God. They cannot stand in his presence, verse 5 says. There is no welcome into the heaven for the sinner who remains in their sin. It's strong language, isn't it? And it might leave you feeling uncomfortable. And that's understandable. It, It is strong. But David knows who God is. In his difficult circumstances, he's lamenting, he's praying, and he's hoping in the justice of God. He's praying to the God who is just. He is praying to the good judge of all the earth. He has a firm hope in the justice of God, that God will not let any sin go unpunished. He will not let any injustice just be swept under the carpet. He will not allow the evil, the wicked, the arrogant, the deceitful to get away with anything. If you've suffered injustice, if you've had wrong done against you, then this truth, it's a great source of comfort to you, isn't it? It's good to know that God will not let wrong go unpunished. When wrongdoing has been done, David knows that God is not unaffected by it. He responds to it as only he can in a holy displeasure. And you might not like that, but because of who God is, because he is love and light and pure and good, he has to. Respond to sin in this way. If you'd been wronged in a terrible way, you imagine this week, if you were one of those 700 plus uh, people who ran a post office and you were sent to prison, or you were fined thousands and thousands of pounds because of an error in a computer system that was then covered up uh, by those uh, in power, and nobody believed you. Imagine being in in that situation that's been brought to life in a drama in these last weeks. Or imagine if it was your relative this week that was stabbed to death on the streets of London. Imagine if those kinds of things happened to you. Would you respond in anger against the post office and its lies or against those killers uh, in our cities? Of course you would. And in uh, the media and on phone-ins this week, people are ringing in angry about what's happened in this uh, post office uh, scenario. And rightly so, because you've got a just and a right reason to be angry against injustice, against wickedness. And if we feel like that in, in our small way, well, so it is with God, and much more, because He is love and He is light. And so He has to respond to right anger and hatred against all that is wrong in this world. This is stark, isn't it? It is stark. Because if you want to live a life of sin, friend, then this is telling you that you won't find favor with God. Do you notice here that a liar and a murderer, they're mentioned in the same breath. They're talked about in the same way. And we might think, well, lying's not that bad, is it? It's not like we've killed anybody. But deception and greed, they mark out someone who is equally just as unfaithful to God and his ways. And so it's implying that if someone is willing to go to lengths to deceive, well, what's to stop them from trying out murder and trying to cover their tracks? Friends, it's just showing us that all our hearts are sinful, all our hearts are wicked and evil. And for the Lord, wickedness and evil, murder and deceit, lies, all of it, its detested by him. Spurgeon says of this verse that a man may lie without danger of the law of man, but he will not escape. Law of God. Friends, we must be really clear on this uh, this evening that sin is detested by God. And if you carry on as you are, you won't escape His law. You will not get away with the sins you have committed. The right and just wrath of God will be what you deserve. And you won't be able to say you weren't warned because you're hearing about it tonight. You're hearing this evening that the one true living God is not pleased with wickedness. You'll never get to heaven. You'll never stand in the presence of God. If you remain in your sin. But here in his difficult and trying situation. As David is lamenting his circumstances. He is able to say full of hope in verse 7. But. So we know there's a contrast coming. But I by your great love can come into your house. In reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. That is an incredible contrast, isn't it, from the previous verses? As unlike the wicked who cannot stand in the presence of God, David here prays with expectation that he can come. He can come into the Lord's presence. He will be able to come and enjoy closeness with the Lord. There is hope here for David. Hope found in the midst of his lamentable circumstances. And what is it that makes David any better than those who are wicked? Nothing at all. Nothing at all is the answer. But David is confident because his hope is in the faithful, unconditional love of God. The only difference between him and the wicked that he's spoken of is that he's come to know the grace of God. His sin would destroy him. And we know from the scriptures that David certainly was a great sinner. And he knows his sin would destroy him if God did not have compassion on him. But he says it is by God's great love that David can come. Into his house. The sovereign. Unfailing love of God. Is where his hope of fellowship. With God. Is grounded. And there might be all kinds of things. uh, Going on all around you. Believer at the moment. But you can be assured. Of God's presence with you. In an evil world. Because by his immense grace. And great love. You can. And you are enjoying fellowship. With God himself, as you trust in God, the Son, Jesus Christ. Here in this verse, we're seeing, well, David still bows down. He still submits himself before God because he knows that God truly is holy. And he knows that he isn't. And yet he can still come and he can still pray and he can still hope. And he can know the Lord he is. Why? Because of his great love. So here is why David hopes in God's justice. Because the holiness of God, it presents us with our greatest problem, as we thought about this morning. But it also presents us with our greatest hope. As we've said, God can't turn a blind eye to sin. Which is why we find ourselves under the judgment of God and in need of salvation. That really is true. But because God is merciful, because of his great love, he's provided a way that we might be saved. ...from our sins, that we might be restored to right relationship with God, that we might know his blessing and not his judgment. And that way is, we know now, more so than David did, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. Through him, the great loving justice of God is demonstrated. Through Jesus, we can approach the majestically holy God of all. God really is holy. He hates sin. But God is also love and he freely welcomes all into his presence who will submit to him, who will come down and bow before him. And that's ultimately possible because of Jesus Christ. You this evening who've done wrong, you who've sinned against God, you can know the great love of God. None of us deserve to stand in his presence. And yet we can come to him. We can draw near because Jesus has made a way because he's gone to the cross. He's breathed his last. He's declared it's finished. The curtain of the temple has been torn into a way has been made to God and in faith in Christ. We can know that for ourselves. Yes, friend, your sins, they cut you off from God. And destruction awaits you if you decide to remain there. And yet, Christian, because of God's great love for us, you can draw near this evening. You can personally come uh, to him again uh, in prayer. Friend, I wonder if you've ever done that you need to do that for the first time tonight? To come and trust in Jesus? Don't remain cut off from the loving presence of God forever. But come near. Come into his house. Draw near to him and know him. Because Jesus has dealt with your sin. Which we see here has such consequences for us. Our sins have been dealt with by Jesus Christ. We too can have this hope in the justice of God. Because through the cross, his justice... Has been satisfied. He's not turned a blind eye to our sins. They've been dealt with by him. And here at the cross. Is where we ground our hope tonight. No matter our circumstances. As we hope in the justice of God. So God is our king. And he is near. We can have absolute assurance of that this evening. You can have a firm hope in God's justice. And then secondly. In verses 8 to 12. We've got further reason. Hope. We've got another reason to hope tonight. And that is because of God's righteousness. Hope in the righteousness of God. That's what David hopes in here in these uh, concluding verses of this fifth psalm. If you've got a Bible, then take a look at how verse 8 begins. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. David hopes in God's righteousness. Righteousness. He prays for the Lord to lead him, to make his way straight, and to reveal himself as righteous. David is knowing real opposition from enemies around him. And so what does he do? He appeals to the only place he can. He appeals to God in his righteousness. Now, God's righteousness means his faithfulness to his goodness and his mercy, his doing of all things right and well that he will keep. And sustain and preserve his people. David knows that because God is righteous. He will defend him. And he will keep him. And God will make the way straight before him. That there is a God of all goodness and rightness. And that we can know him. And trust ourselves to him this evening. Brothers and sisters. Is a source of great hope. Similar to verses 4 to 6. Again in verses 9 and 10. David brings His plea before God that God will do what is right. That he will be faithful to his goodness. David's not going to take vengeance on himself. That would be easy to do. But no. He entrusts himself and his circumstances to God. David speaks of the malice and the lies. The untrustworthiness of his enemies. He says their throat is an open grave. Through their mouth ruin. Even death comes along. And on these grounds... David sums up his case here, doesn't he? Before the judge, demanding a verdict for such evil. Verse 10 says this, Declare them guilty, O God. The wicked are opposed to the God of light and life and truth and love. Their mouths are full of lies and deceit. And with their tongues they sow hatred and death. And so no wonder David prays that the Lord would declare those who oppose him and the Lord guilty. Because at the root of their action... Is rebellion against God himself. They have rebelled against you. That's why David calls on the Lord. To declare them guilty. To judge them for their sins. He prays at the end of verse 10. Banish them for their many sins. For they have rebelled against you. And that's the crux of the issue really. Rebellion against God himself. These, uh, those who are doing wicked here. That David is, has in mind. They're not simply attacking him. It's rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. And God's righteousness must mean that the schemes of the wicked are going to backfire on them in the end. Each one of us will reap what we sow. Again, this is something that we must grasp. God is righteous. He is holy. And we must be holy as he is. We must align ourselves with God's essential character of holiness. What's an outrage to God must be and outrage to us. You and I, we can hope in God this evening and find our eternal refuge in him because in spite of the evil of our world, God is not unconcerned with such wickedness. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And that is why whenever the people of God are faced with pain, suffering, oppression, we can confidently call on God to act in line with who he is. We Mm -hmm. can hope in God's Righteousness. It doesn't mean everything will be comfy, but it does mean all will be well. Because the judge of all the earth will do what is right. Now again, you might feel uncomfortable with this psalm. It might be disconcerting to read harsh words heaped on the enemy. We might be thinking, well, remember the words of Jesus. Bless those who curse you. And so maybe you're thinking... We can't really speak, can we, in the way that David does here. But let's not forget, friends, that the Lord Jesus was never afraid to call evil what it was. He wasn't afraid to call it out and to take a firm stance against it, condemning it in every form. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this evening, then you too must take evil seriously. And yet, for the second time in this psalm, we read that wonderful word, but... But a word that tells you there is an alternative to the downfall of the guilty. There is a contrast to be made, and it's there in verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. What a difference we have here. Unlike those who have rebelled against God, God, those who revere the Lord, all those who have submitted to the Lord and make him their refuge, they'll be clad. They will sing for joy. Everyone who has their trust firmly in the Lord, everyone who has committed their final destiny to him, finds in God a place of security in times of trouble. Finds in him a fortress in times of struggle. You find an ultimate refuge In the storm, you might be lamenting right now, this evening, just as David was in verse 1. Your griefs and your sorrows and your stresses and your anxieties, they are real. And you have permission to lament those things this evening. The scriptures give us that permission. Your circumstances are hard, and the agony of your heart is real. And yet in all of that, in the reality of your lament, you can yet still sing for joy. You can be glad, which isn't glib. You can be glad because, we're told here in verse 11, you have a refuge in the Lord. You are safe with him. He will spread his wings of protection over you. You have refuge in him, in the shadow of his wing. Imagine some majestic bird of prey with her nest high up in the trees of Snowdonia or the highlands of Scotland. And this mother does everything for her chicks. She feeds them, she cleans them, she protects them, she keeps them warm at night. And one day, a huge storm blows in, like we've had in recent weeks, blows in over the mountains. And as that's happening, she doesn't stay unaffected by it and stays out flying around. Now what does she do? She gathers her chicks to herself. And keeps them close to her under the warm protection of her wings. And just as a bird brings her chicks under her wings in the middle of a storm to protect them from the hammering rain and, and the blowing wind, so are you tonight who are trusting in the Lord, you are safe in the protective refuge of Him who loves you with such a great love. You can rejoice in the Lord this evening. As you hope in his righteousness, in his faithfulness to be good. You who love the Lord, you can have great joy. Because the Lord is near. Yes, he's your king. And he is your God. And he is near. He is concerned for you. He cares for you. And he always does all things right and all things well. How can you be sure? Take a look at verse 12. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Here's the certainty and the hope grounded in who God is. Surely the Lord will bless the righteous. Surely by his gracious character, the Lord will defend you and will bless you. Surely he will bless those who are right with God. He will protect them as with a shield. Just like how a shield acts as a defense to a a soldier, It stops a damaging attack. So too with God. He will ensure that no ultimate harm may come upon us. That doesn't mean there is no suffering. David clearly speaks of enemies and opposition and suffering. So the refuge and protection of God, it's not always physical. It sometimes can be physical. But here we're reminded of a greater defense. A defense that's found in the Lord Jesus He who is all sufficient and he will keep us to the end and he will bring us safely home. And we know that's true because our triune God deals graciously with us. Surely God has surrounded us with his favor, hasn't he? God has shown us his favor. He's lavished his grace upon us. He's shown us that he will protect us. He will care for us. He will be a shield to us and bless us because the best has been given to us in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. Jesus really is the ultimate proof. Of God's righteousness. He is the proof that God does all things right and well. Because Jesus is God's righteousness revealed. And we know from the end of Romans 8. That neither death nor life. Nor angels nor demons. Neither the present nor the future. Nor any powers. Neither height nor depth. Nor anything else. In all creation will be able to separate us from from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will keep us to the end. Nothing will separate us from his love. He will be our shield. He will be our refuge. And in his righteousness, in his holiness, we see God's divine judgment against sin. But we also see his relentless goodness, his amazing grace towards all that he has made. Our God is the one who judges and the one who saves. We hope in his justice and in his righteousness. Our hope is not in the changing scenes of life or in the whirlpool of your circumstances, but in the unchanging sovereignty and righteousness of the Lord. Our hope is in God himself. It's in his very character, in his nature, then the very fact that he is our king and our God. He really is ours. And he is the one who establishes justice and righteousness. And so, brothers and sisters, you really can... Be glad this evening. you can be glad this week. You really can rejoice in the Lord. For he's given us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will bless us and surround us with his favor. And it's because of him that nothing can separate us from his love. No matter how hard things might be. No matter what this week has in store for you. No matter how lamentable your circumstances. No matter how deep that lament goes. God is king. And he is near. And let all who take refuge in him be glad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are this evening. A God of justice, a God of righteousness, a God who is good and right in all that you do. Help us tonight to trust in you as our shield and as our refuge. Thank you that in you we can have an unshakable joy because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And therefore we need not fear. We can never be separated from you. Would you forgive us for our sins and enable us this week to wait expectantly before you in prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen.